This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. All right, podcast enthusiasts, what's going on? How you doing? This is episode 222 of Talking Buffalo Podcast. I want to thank everyone out there for listening, as always. Continuing to download, support the show, it really means a lot to me. And I like to be honest with you people, so I'm going to tell you right off the bat here. Typically, when I start, at least when I start the podcast anyway, I have this positive vibe going. I feel good. I'm excited about doing it, and I am kind of excited about the podcast because of the content itself, but I got to be honest with you, man. I really do. Today sucked, and I'm not in a good mood, not even close to it at all. Now, we're taping this Wednesday night, late into Wednesday night. It'll be released overnight Thursday in early Friday morning. Just found out today that the Erie County Fair is now officially canceled for the year. Now, I know for a lot of you out there listening, that means no cannolis, no funnel cakes, maybe no rides, I don't know, whatever the hell it is that you like to do at the fair. I'm going to tell you right now, for me, I'm furious and I'm sick about it because it means a lot more. Not going to get into the specifics, into the details, but I will say this. You all know I live in Florida. Y'all know I'm born and raised in Buffalo, spent my most, most of my life there. And that I get up to Buffalo. I mean, I get up to Buffalo a couple times a year, visit family, visit friends, do some shows. But the summer is like my bread and butter in Buffalo. And the big reason why it's my bread and butter in Buffalo is because the company that I work to is very closely associated with the Erie County Fair. Now, 10 and a half months of the year, I get to work at home here in Florida. Pretty cool. And it's even better because in the summer, I get to spend four to five weeks consecutively in Buffalo. And again, without giving away all the details because they're boring and irrelevant, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Point being, the Erie County Fair allows me to come back home to my hometown of Buffalo for at least four and as many as six weeks during the summertime. It really helps me cope with not living in Buffalo right now. So with the Erie County Fair, that's gone. That ship has sailed for me. Now I still will get to Buffalo, hopefully anyway, at some point in the summer, but it's going to be a lot shorter. Very, very short. Ain't going to be for no four or five weeks. I can tell you that right now. I mean, I get a chance to go to Buffalo. 
on company dime, company car, because I need to be able to be in Buffalo to work during the fair and the couple of weeks leading up to it. No need for that now. So that's not going to happen. So discuss it about that. Discuss it. And you know what else I'm disgusted about? Jason Bottrell. That disgusts me. That happened this week. We all saw the reports by now. John World, the Associated Press, was the first to report it. Props to him. Jason Bottrell will be back for a fourth season as Buffalo Sabres GM per Kim Bagula. That pisses me off a lot. You know what else pisses me off a lot? Crappy audio. Crappy audio from my feature segment. I'm going to talk about that more in just a minute. Again, I, I hate almost every single thing about this week. I'm in a bad mood. I really am. I'm pissed off. Well, you know what? Not everything, though. I was. Here's some good news, some bright news. At least for me, anyway. It was fun for me. I got the opportunity to be on two other podcasts this week. I did a Mount Rushmore of Wings um, on Buckets and Dan Sportsland. It's a brand new podcast. They're only like four episodes in. That was a lot of fun. And then on Tuesday night, I was a guest on Trainwreck Tonight with uh, the guys from Trainwreck Sports. Both those shows were a lot of fun to do. It's always nice to be on the other side of the mic. I say that all the time. Uh, so yeah, fun shows. Go find them anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm going to link them up as well in the show notes. But aside from that, dude, my week has sucked. Like literally everything about this week has sucked. Now I talked about the audio sucking and that has me in a shitty mood too. So let's address that right now. So here's the deal. If you tune in the Tuesday show, we had part one of an all-time Buffalo Sabres draft. And we did that with four of the best Sabres hockey minds out there in the game today, by far. I'm talking about Paul Hamilton, John Vogel, Chris Baker, and Chad DeNaminesis. On Tuesday, we drafted 12 forwards and two coaches each. If you didn't listen to that yet, absolutely go back and listen to it. You have to go back and you have to listen to that. It was good stuff. I'll put a link to part one from Tuesday in the show notes. And before anything else, real quick here, because then I got to address some audio stuff here. I want to explain why I had these four guys, why I picked them to be on my panel. Again, I'm talking about Paul, John, Chris, and Chad. Paul Hamilton is, without question, one of the most respected Buffalo Sabres reporters the city of Buffalo has ever seen. You may not love his Twitter personality. Frankly, I don't blame you if you don't. Paul's very quick. He's got that trigger figure on Twitter. He'll run you off. He'll block you at the drop of a dime, especially if he don't know you. So I get that. I, I understand why, at least on social media, why a lot of Sabres fans don't like Paul much. But I'm going to tell you right now, Paul's a good dude, very well respected by his peers. His peers love him. His colleagues love him. And I think that's what he cares most about. And there's absolutely nobody out there, in my mind anyway, that's more qualified to talk about the Buffalo Sabres, both past and present, than Paul Hamilton. So that was an easy choice for me. John Vogel was another easy choice. I love John, a great old school reporter. Of course, he covered the Buffalo Sabres for a lot of years in print for the Buffalo News. Now he does it on digital media with The Athletic. Kind of one of those guys who speaks off, but carries a big stick. One of those kind of guys. Again, very well respected. Been around the team for 
quite a while. So John was another easy choice. Chris Baker, one of my favorite hockey guys out there because he's a great blend of old school and new school. Now he's known for covering Sabres prospects. I mean, that's literally what his thing is. But I'll tell you what, you will be very, very hard-pressed to find anyone out there who knows the Sabres past and present better than Chris. Chris is a true hockey guy, a guy I love shooting the shit with, a guy, frankly, I'd love to do a regular podcast with, good voice, great personality. So again, another easy choice. And then last but not least, Chad DiDominicis. Now, Chad is somebody, I wanted representation from the new breed of Buffalo Sabres reporter, and I think Chad fits that bill perfectly. He's a guy who uses analytics a lot. Which, whether you like it or not, it's a growing thing and it's only going to get bigger. Chad knows a lot about the team he covers currently. He knows enough about the team from the past. Another guy who's easygoing. Somebody who's fun to talk to. Somebody who's not afraid to be critical in his writings of the team. Which isn't as easy as it seems sometimes. Especially when these guys got to show their face around the Sabres organization. They tend to kind of be kiss-asses, especially that new age media. But Chad's not like that at all. So he's another guy I respect a lot. Now, again, if you heard on Tuesday, the audio was really rough. You know what? Saying it was really rough is being politically correct. The audio freaking sucked, man. It was shit. And I'm not going to give the full explanation again. I did that on Tuesday. Let's just say I'm going to take responsibility for it because I've been doing this for a while. I know sound. I know where it should be coming from. I should know the sources better. And I tried using new recorded equipment. Didn't go over well. It was the first time that I ever had four guests on at once. And there were four different tracks and I did not have them balanced right. Chris Baker had a a mic issue that I should have recognized. It did not go well with the software that I was using. Paul's voice was really low. I had to boost it so high to the point that it just, it, it wasn't good. So anyway, unfortunately, today's part two was even worse when I listened back to it than part one. In fact, I got to say, it's pretty much unlistenable. No sane person is going to want to listen to that audio. Now, I know as somebody who's been putting out podcasts for quite a while now, again, this is 222 episodes and I listen to shows all the time. I don't care who the guest is. I don't care how great the content is. If you have shitty sounding audio, sooner than later, and probably sooner you're going to lose that listener because it becomes a distraction. That's why. So here's what I want to do for today. I'm going to go through the picks that the guys made for defense and goaltending because that is what part two of the draft was. That was always going to be the case today. And I'll say a few words about the guys. I'll try to remember a few things the guys said as they were picking them, so on and so forth. Because again, these are the guys that the panel drafted to run off the teams. But for the sake of your ears and because I know you're not going to want to listen to more than a couple minutes of that audio before you turn it off, I'm just going to run them off and I'll discuss them a little bit. But after that, I will play a clip. It's about three minutes long or so where the guys actually do talk about their picks. It's a short enough clip that you could suffer through the shitty audio because I think it's important that you hear some of the words from their mouths on the picks and how they felt about them. Then after that, I'm going to run off the rosters and the lines. For all four guys, I'm going to tell you who I think has the best team. And then I'm going to tell you about a poll where you could vote for who you think has the best team. And then I'm going to finish off with some thoughts on the current day Sabres. And I'll tell you what, spoiler alert, it ain't freaking good. Just like I told you at the top, I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a shitty mood 
And a lot of it has to do with stuff that's just went down in Sabres land over these last couple of days. So without further ado, again, today was defense and goalies that the guys drafted. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take a lot of time here. So this won't be a particularly long episode because it's just me talking. I'll run through the picks and I'll run off a couple numbers that are associated with the picks and maybe a couple things that I remember from the guys drafting along the way. And we'll kind of fly through this part. But this is who the guys in the panel took. We're starting with the defense. Again, this was a snake draft. And the first pick was awarded to Chris Baker. Frankly, not a very hard decision here. He went with Phil Housley. Obviously, Phil Housley might have been a colossal flop as head coach, completely in over his head. But he's probably the best all-time defenseman in franchise history. Played eight years with the Sabres, 608 games, 178 goals, 558 points. He's an NHL Hall of Famer. Easy pick and the right pick for Chris to start it off. Up next with the second pick, Paul Hamilton, and he went with Mike Ramsey. Good pick there, an absolute workhorse. Spent 14 years with the Sabres, 18 overall in the NHL. 911 games with the Sabres. Arguably the best defensive defenseman in the history of the franchise. So solid and predictable selection for Paul there with the second pick. With the third pick in the first round, John Vogel took Jerry King Kong Korab. King Kong played nine of his 14 years with Buffalo, 283 points. Big physical guy who could score from the point in the power play. Tough guy, could fight. Great frontline defenseman for John. Then with the last pick of the first round, Chad was on the clock. I don't want to say a big surprise, but a minor surprise. Went with Brian Campbell. Brian, of course, one of the team's most popular blue liners. Spent eight years in Buffalo. Really came up the ranks to become a valuable defenseman for Buffalo. And he did that at a time when this team was good. Now, again, if you're a young Sabres fan, it's very hard to remember, as sad as that might sound, when this team was actually good. But they were good not too long ago. And Brian Campbell, maybe a reach in the first round, but still a very good player. So that's how round one went. And then to start round two, Chad came back because this is a snake draft. So he gets the first pick of round two. Little controversial, maybe. Takes Rasmus Dahlin, which again, if somebody was going to take him early, Chad was definitely the candidate, you know, the youngest guy in the panel to go with Rasmus. I'll say this, the kid's only two years into his career. Obviously, you know, Chad's going more on projection. Surely he's like the most talented blue liner since Phil Housley, maybe even more physically gifted. So I get that line of thinking. At the same token, if you're playing in a game right now, like if these rosters are going on the ice to win a game seven of the Stanley Cup tonight, I don't think Rasmus Dahlin should be the fifth defenseman taken overall. Now, are you talking down the road? Because you can make a strong case at Rasmus Dahlin, if we do this draft five years down the road, he might be the first overall pick. So I'll call it a gutsy selection there for Chad. John was up in round two after that. Took another John. John Van Boxmeer. Van Boxmeer spent four years in Buffalo, 1979 to 1983. Hit double-digit goals three times. Wicked shot. Good pick there for John. After that was Paul, and Paul went with Jim Schoenfeld. Shawnee. Spent 11 years with Buffalo, starting in the early 70s. Good defensive defenseman. Can move the puck. Score a little bit. Big-time tough guy. Really good fighter. Led the NHL with a plus 60 in 1979-1980. Good pick there for Paul. 
And then to end round two, the first of consecutive picks for Chris Baker, he went with Doug Bodger. Doug spent eight of his 16 years in the NHL with Buffalo, racked up 46 points four times. Solid player, solid pick. I like that. Then right back to Chris to start round three. This is a guy who I remember so well as a young kid, Bill Height. Bill Height spent all 14 years of his career in Buffalo, played 854 games. Dude only scored 42 goals in 854 games. That's what I remember about him. Great defensive defenseman, a dynamo at the blue line, but couldn't score to save his life. Anyway, I remember him very well as a kid. Good pick by Chris. Paul was up next and he took Alexei Zhitnik. Now, by the way, Paul and Chris, or Chris was going back and forth between taking Height and Zhitnik. He talked about this process before going with Height. Paul jumped on Alexei Zhitnik, spent a decade in Buffalo, 712 games, solid, but never a spectacular player. But dude had a rocket shot when he would hit the net. I mean, he was a wild shooter, good skater, really good player, good all around player for the Sabres right there with Paul. John was on the clock. He took Gary Galley. By the way, that was Gary with two R's. And I was looking up some stats and numbers for these guys. Took me forever to find them because I forgot that Gary Galley actually was Gary with two R's. Anyway, 17 years in his career. Three of them were spent in Buffalo. Scored 102 points in 163 games. Solid player. John's off to a good start when it comes to the defensive crew. That's for sure. Chad with the very last pick of round three. Goes Teppo Newmanen. Temple spent four years in Buffalo, only scored six goals, so he never put the puck in the net, but racked up 80 assists in 212 games. Good two-way player. I like that pick to end round three. Chad comes back to begin round four. Goes Richard Schmelick. I think I might have had that number 42 Schmelick jersey. I'm thinking about it literally as I'm saying this right now. Anyway, he spent nine years in Buffalo. Again, one of those workhorse defensemen. Had a positive plus-minus rating seven of his nine years with the club. And then after that, might have been my favorite value pick of this entire defensive draft. John Vogel was on the clock. We're in round four now, I believe. Yeah, round four. And he stole, I think he stole Jay McKee. Dude spent a decade with the Sabres. Couldn't score more shit. Only had 17 goals in a decade with Buffalo. But I'll tell you what, man. Great defensive guy. Tough. Could play anywhere in the power play penalty kill. Could mix it up. Again, that's a great value pick in round four for John. One of my favorite of the entire draft. Paul was up next, went with Callie Johansson. Now, Paul went for a guy who was great throughout his career, but he was pretty much great with his career while he was in Washington. However, he did spend two seasons in Buffalo, so that does make him fair game. Scored six goals and 55 points in 118 games as a saver, which, by the way, were his first two years. So nice sneaky pick from Paul. After that, the last pick of round four, Chris went with one of the all-time tough guys for the Buffalo Sabres, Larry Playfair. Again, another guy I remember as a kid thinking it was most so ironic. Dude's name was Playfair, yet he was always fighting. Again, one of the all-time Sabre great tough guys. Played 10 years with the team. Racked up a shitload of penalty minutes. I'll tell you what, between Playfair and Rob Ray, if nothing else, Chris ain't trying to lose any bench-clearing brawls with his squad. So that's how round four ended. Round five began with Chris on the clock again. Took a name that a lot of Sabres fans probably don't even know. Josh Grovermont. I almost always say that name wrong. Spent five years with Buffalo late in his career. Look at these numbers, though. I'll tell you what. For a guy a lot of people don't know, especially younger fans, 
He racked up 168 points in 324 games, and he had a plus-minus rating of plus 143. Wow. Very underrated player for Chris to start round five. Tim Horton goes to Paul Hamilton with the next pick. He spent two years in Buffalo to finish what was an amazing 24-year career. Tim Horton spent almost a quarter of a century playing in the NHL. That's incredible. Good, true defensive defenseman. It's another good sneaky pick by Paul. Paul's nailing a lot of these sneaky picks. People think of Tim Horton as they think of 25-minute waits or drive through for coffee, not the hockey player. By the way, if you're spending 25 minutes in a drive through waiting for coffee, you're crazy. Ain't no coffee worth that. Nothing even close to being worth that wait. But anyway, you do you. John Vogel on the clock next. Henrik Tillinder. That's always been such a hard day for me to say. I don't know why. I can say it a hundred times and I'll say it a hundred different ways. But anyway, Henrik Tillinder. Nine years with the Sabres. True workhorse guy. One of those blue liners who would... Hog up ice time. You can count on him. One of the better value picks. Tell you what, I didn't think John had a very good draft with the Fords. Not a great draft, but I think he's killing it right now with his defensive picks. And then the last pick of round five, Chaz on the clock, Steve Monador. Spent two years with Buffalo late in his career, played 151 games, 49 points, was a plus 16 over those two years. Pretty solid pick for this point in the draft. And then we get to the last round. Chaz on the clock again. He takes Dimitri Kalinin. Eight years with the team. I didn't know Dimitri Kalinin played with the Sabres for eight years. It's pretty cool. 466 games, 34 goals, 111 assists, 145 points. Played nearly 20 minutes a night. I'll tell you what, for a six-rounder, that's a hell of a pick. Speaking of hell of picks, I'll tell you, John has absolutely crushed the defensive picks in this draft. Tyler Myers in the sixth round. I love that pick that late. Spent his first six years in Buffalo. Of course, a lot of people remember that he won the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year in 2009. 45 goals, 151 points in 365 games. Played nearly 23 minutes a night. Eventually got dealt to Winnipeg. Part of that Evander King, Zach Bogosian trade. God, I don't want to talk about Zach Bogosian. He was not picked, by the way. But who was picked? Because there's only two left here. Paul Hamilton won his last pick. Tony Ludman. Like I said, I think John crushed defense. I think Paul really stepped up with some kind of low-key, sneaky picks here. Ludman spent five good years with Buffalo during his 12-year career. 105 points, 371 games. Solid pick. And then for the last one, this guy holds a place dear and dear to my heart. Hanu Verda. Chris Baker takes Hanu Verda. I told you I remember Bill Height so well as a kid. Hanu Verda, I remember he wore number three. I remember him so well as a young Sabres fan. I, you know what? I think when I played floor hockey as a kid, I think I wore number three because I played defense and I think I wanted to be like Hanu Verda. Four years in the NHL, all with the Sabres. I don't know why. You know what? I'm going to have to ask the guys, or if you're listening out there, why did Hanu Verda only spend four years in the NHL? I don't know what happened. But anyway, all with Buffalo, 25 goals, 126 points, 245 games. Yeah, I wore his jersey. I remember number three. I remember being Hanu Verda when I was a young floor hockey player. But anyway, that's the defense. And then we moved on to the goalies, and it was a new order. And again, snake draft. And Paul Hamilton hit like the motherland of draft lotteries here because he got first pick. And in the least surprising pick of any 
Buffalo draft you're ever going to have in your life. Paul sprinted to the podium to grab Dominic Hasek. I mean, six Vesnas, greatest goalie in Buffalo Sabres history, one of the greatest to ever play the game. What more is there really to say there? I'm not going to waste a lot of time talking about that. John Vogel was up second, took Ryan Miller, most wins in Sabres history, also won a Vesna in 2009. Those two picks were very obvious. Whoever got those first two picks, those were going off the board. Not a lot of deep thought required there. But after that, for me at least, it started to get a little more interesting because Chad was on the clock with the third pick. And I thought there were three or four goaltenders, at least in the mix, to be the third overall pick. Ultimately, Chad went with Grant Fuhr. Now, Grant spent three years with Buffalo, but he was far better known for his play with the Edmonton Oilers. Won a bunch of cups there. Only had a .887 save percentage in his career, but he always seemed to make a big save. Did win a Vesa too with Edmonton. So it's not a bad pick. Maybe slightly a bit of an upset, but not a huge one. Again, the guy let in a lot of goals, but he's always seemed to make a big save when he needed to. So that's what Chad went with. This left Chris with the last pick of round one and then the first pick coming back. Tom Barrasso, fourth overall here. 19-year career, his first six were spent in Buffalo. Of course, a lot of Sabres fans will remember back in 1983-84. He won the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year and also the Vesna as Goaltender of the Year. Good pick there for Chris. Then he came back with Don Edwards, who spent six years with Buffalo. Also won a Vesna in 1979. Tell you what, a lot of uh, Buffalo Sabres goalies have won Vesna. Some of them I didn't remember until I started going back and looking at these numbers. But anyway... Barrasso and Edwards, those are Chris's two goalies. Chad came back with Roger Crozier after a lot of deliberation and probably a lot of advice seeking from uh, the other three guys on the panel from what I remember. Crozier spent six years with Buffalo. I'll tell you what I remember most about Roger Crozier. Older Sabres fans or Sabres fans who remember history very well might remember. I can't play it for licensing reasons on this podcast, but... They had a song out, the Sabres are going to slap that cup or win that cup. And I remember the lyrics, we've got Roger Crozier making the saves. I don't know why I still remember that, but I do. But anyway, that's my best Roger Crozier memory. I don't remember shit about him playing hockey, to be honest with you. Second last pick, John Vogel was up and he went with Robin Leonard. Robin spent three pretty good years with Buffalo. Good goalie. Actually, you know what? Robin Leonard was a really good goalie, unless it were a shootout. If it was a shootout, mm-mm. You don't want that. But anyway, a really good complimentary goalie to Ryan Miller. And then with the last pick, Paul picked Bob Sove. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with Bob Sove. He was a good goalie. Part of a really good tandem with Don Edwards in the early 80s. But you know what? Seriously, is he ever going to play a game with Dominic Hasek in net? He might see like seven, eight starts for the entire season for uh, Paul Hamilton's team. But anyway, before moving on, I did pull about a three-minute clip or so from the guys talking about how they felt about their picks. Again, the audio, I got to tell you, the audio throughout was simply too bad to use as a whole for the podcast, but we will suffer through about three minutes or so right here of crap audio because I wanted to let you know how they felt in their own words, sometimes muddled words. Again, my fault there on what they thought about their defense and their goalie and their team overall. So, on that note, let me play that clip.
All right, so here's what we're going to do as we wrap up. I'm going to go talk to each of you guys here individually. We'll talk about the defensemen and the goalies. And again, kind of just like on Tuesday, a little rapid reaction. Let's start with you, Chris. Defensemen, you got Phil Housley, Bodger, Bill Height, Playfair, Verda. I miss one of your defensemen. Who's the defenseman that I'm missing? Josh Gavermont. Okay. And then your goalies are Tom Barrasso and Don Edwards. What's your instant thoughts on that? So, you know, thinking that I wasn't going to have a crack at a bona fide, really legitimate goaltender, I was happy to get Barrasso. I really wanted to name the key. You know, do I regret passing on Zitnik for Bill Height? Maybe, but I did like the Height-Housley connection. And again, longevity, I think that does speak volumes. If you're looking at it in the context of what these guys did, just with the Sabres, you know, I'm kind of happy with that. But, my, you know, my team is definitely um, weakest, I think, on the blue line. So we're just going to have to run and gun and see what happens. All right. What about you, Chad? So we have Brian Campbell, Rasmus Dahlin, Newmanin, Schmelik. Steve Montour, Dimitri Kalidian, those are your blue liners, and your goaltenders are Grant Fuhr and Roger Crozier. So to be honest, I love my blue line. Um, I'm very happy with the players that I got. I think I'm going to have some trouble in goal. I think I'm going to give up a few goals, but you know, I, I guess I, I got some scoring forwards and even some offensive defensemen in Campbell and Dahlin, so I, I, and even Tepo too. So I, I guess I'm going to have a Team needs to score a lot, but um, after I took fear instead of Barrasso, I kind of had buyer's regret there, but you know, it, it is what it is. All right, John, you got Jerry Korab, John Van Boxmere, Galley, Jay McKee, Kalinder, and Tyler Myers on the blue line, and your goalies are Ryan Miller and Robert Leonard. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's funny. The other day when we talked about forwards, I said off right off the bat, I hate my team. Um, when I look at it now, I really like my team a lot more. Um, Jerry Korab can give me a lot of punch in two ways. Uh, John Van Boxen has got a lot of offense. Jay McKee, uh, alongside, well, after Mike Ramsey, possibly the best offensive defenseman on this team. Um, and then you got a lot of size, uh, not a lot of weight, but a lot of size with both Tyler Myers and Henrik Kleiner. I'm happy with that defense core. And then a goaltending tandem of Ryan Miller and Robin Leonard. Um, I'm very happy with that. Uh, you got two personalities who really like to win um, and aren't shy of saying that. Um, so, yeah, I'm uh, I'm much happier with my team uh, today than I was when we just had the floor. Sure. And I'm going to give the last word here to Paul, your defenseman, Mike Ramsey, Jim Schoenfeld, you got Jitnik, Kelly Johansson, Tim Horton, Ludman, and then your goaltenders, Bob Sovian, of course, Dominic Hasek, what's your take on this defense and your goalie and your team as a whole? Well, I'm solid in goal. Uh, defense is my weakest point. I really don't, aren't, I'm not going to get any offense really at all from my defense, but I've got some great workhorses in Mike Ramsey and Chitnick and Tim Horton in his prime. Uh, Johansson maybe can produce a little bit of offense, but not a lot. Uh, Jitnik, uh, if he can get a shot on that, will produce a little bit of offense, but, uh, that would be my weakness. I'm not going to get much offense from the blue line, but I'm definitely going to be solid in my own zone. I'm going to be solid with blocking shots, and uh, I've got some guys that can play for us. See, so you guys just heard my predicament right there. The audio's crap, and I just could not let you guys listen to 45 minutes of audio like that. But at the same token, just in those three minutes alone, you heard a lot of honest insight 
Really good analysis on why these guys did what they did. Lots of fun. So here's the deal. Right after the draft was over, and again, the draft spanned Tuesday and today. Tuesday were forwards and coaches. Today, obviously, defense and goalie. All four guys immediately submitted to me a roster full of four forward lines and three pairs of defensemen. Now, this is worth saying because this is important. Going into the draft, all four guys agreed, and they were 100% right. I actually didn't think of it. They thought of it. They didn't want to go out there and just draft, like, let's just take forwards for an example. They didn't want to go out there and take the 12 most talented forwards. Like they didn't want to have six or seven centers on their roster. They didn't want to have four lines worth of checkers or four first-line centers because it would not have been a good fit for the team. Ditto with defense. It was about fit for a roster as if this team was going to play a game or seven-game series or even a season that they wanted to have the best team itself. So let me go through all four of the guys. I'll go through their lines. Then after that, I'll offer some thoughts on who I think has the best team. And then I'm going to open it up to you guys for a discussion as well, tell you how you can get involved in the conversation. Let's start with Chris Baker's team, which by the way, in hindsight, I probably should have had these guys just come up with a team name instead of just saying Chris Baker or John Vogel. But anyway, we'll start with Chris. First line, absolutely loaded, by the way, forward line. Patty LaFontaine, who centered Alex McGillney and Dave Anderchuk. After that, he's got Danny Briere, center in Mike Greer and Tony McKegney. Pierre Turgeon, center in Rick Vive and Ray Shepard. And then a solid fourth line, too, here. Good checking line. John Tucker. Rick Sealing, Rob Ray. Defensive pairings, Bill Housley and Bill Height, Doug Bodger, Larry Playfair. Then he has Government and Hanu Verda. Goalies, Barrasso and Edwards. Coaches, head coach Scott Bowman, assistant coach Mitch Korn. On to Johnny Vogel. Johnny. I don't know why I say Johnny, but whatever. Gilbert Perot, centering for Marisol Chatan and Thomas Vanek. Don Luce, centering for J.P. Dumont, Craig Ramsey. Derek Roy, centering for Donald Audette and Aless Kotalik. Tell you what, if that's a third line, that's a really underrated third line. Then his fourth line, Peter McNabb for Brad May and Lindy Ruff. Defensive pairings, Jerry Korab, John Van Boxmeer. Man, I love that first pairing. Gary Galley, Tyler Myers, Jay McKee, Henrik Talinder. Hey, I got it right that time, I think. I think. Ryan Miller, Robin Leonard are the goalies. Head coach Floyd Smith. Assistant coach John Tortorella. Next, we move on to Chad Dinaminesis. A first line that current Sabres fans will be pretty familiar with. Jack Eichel centering Jeff Skinner and Jason Pominville. Then he's got Ryan O'Reilly with Sam Reinhart and Max Afinaginoff. Chris Drury with Rennie Robert and Jeff Sanderson on a third line. Wow, is that a hell of a third line, man. Far and away the best third line of any of these guys. Fourth line, Johan Larson with Jokin Hetch and Marcus Foligno. Defenseman, Brian Camel with Teppo Numanen. You got Schmelik with Rasmus Dahlin. Dimitri Kalinin with Steve Monador. Goaltending, Grant Furen, Roger Crozier. Head coach, Lindy Ruff. Assistant coach, Barry Smith. Last but not least, Paul Hamilton, who, by the way, not only gave me his line combinations, but also uniform numbers to go along with them. I thought that was pretty cool. 
First line, Dale Howard Chuck with Danny Gear and Rick Martin. I love that. Tim Connolly with Mike Foligno and Doug Gilmore. Mike Pekka with Jim Lorenz and Rick Dudley. And then his fourth line is check-in line. Far and away my favorite check-in line that I've seen of all the combinations here. Christian Root 2, centering Matt Barnaby and Stu Barnes. I love that line. Defensive pairings. Jim Schoenfeld and Mike Ramsey. Callie Johansson and Alexei Zitnik. Tony Ludman and Tim Horton. His goaltending is the dominator, and it doesn't matter who else, but Bob Sovey is the backup. Head coach, John Muckler. Assistant coach, Don Lever. So again, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up a poll on Twitter. Actually, I'm going to put up a photograph of each of the four teams. Then I'm going to run a poll. And I'm going to ask listeners here and Sabres fans on Twitter to vote for their favorite roster. I'll announce the winner on the podcast next week. Should be fun. I'll tell you what. Personally, I think it's going to be pretty close. At least it should be. You put a gun to my head and you force me to pick somebody. I think I'd have to go with Paul Hamilton squad because he's got four really good four lines. He's got a defense. They're not going to put the puck in the net, but they're going to keep, they're going to keep it away. And then he's got the best goalie in team history, the dominator, one of the best goalies to ever play. Not to mention a Stanley cup winner at head coach in John Muckler. It's just a, Top to bottom. And again, don't, you know, Dale Howard, Chuck Danny Gear, and Rick Martin is no joke on the front line. And that Route 2 Barnaby Barnes, that pairing on line four, that line combination, I absolutely love it, man. I really do. So again, close one, but I got to go with Paul. I'll tell you what, I think Chad's team is much better than I originally thought in real time as we were drafting it. We were kind of having some fun with Chad, especially on Tuesday's show because he was taking a bunch of current players. And when you look at it, like, well, this team has sucked now for, what, nine years? So you're like, eh. But it seems good. And I like his line combinations, except for one. And I'll give Chad a pass here, because maybe it's some youth here, some youthful thinking, but he's got Rennie Robert on the third line. That can't be happening. There's no way. That should be Pominville on that third line. Michael, Rennie Robert, and Jeff Skinner. Holy shit. But yeah, man, I mean, Chad is strong. Down the middle, Eichel, O'Reilly, Drury is his first three centers. That's not the love about that. It's after the forwards that his team gets a little, little bit sketchy. I don't, I don't hate the defense. I don't love it either. And again, I'm not a huge Grant Fuhr. I don't think that's the guy. Personally, if I had the third pick and it was me, because he had the third pick among goalies, I probably would have taken Tom Barrasso. And if I didn't, I probably would have went with Don Edwards. So not in love with the Grant Fuhrer pick, but I get it too. He's a big time winner, won a lot of cups. So it is what it is. But Chad seems good. I think Chris Baker by far has the best number one line with Patty LaFontaine and Alexander McGillney and Dave Anderchuk. Decent depth. Good playmaking defenseman with Phil Housley. I like Barrasso and Don Edwards in net. That's a good team. <laughs> it's a, these are hard. It's hard. So by the way, 48 forwards were picked. I think it was 24 defensemen. It gets harder as it goes along. Now, I don't love Chris's defense at all. In fact, yeah, I definitely don't love, love it at all. But I like everything about it. Well, maybe my love with Danny Breer centering Tony McKegney and Mike Greer either. But again, I mean, I love his fourth line with Tucker Sealing and Rob Ray. That's for sure. It's just uh, 
Chris is right up there too. Really tough call. And I'm telling you right now, when it comes to John Vogel's team, he was the first to tell you on Tuesday after the forwards and the coaches, he did not like his team at all. Not the case though. The way his team is constructed, he's going to go out and try to win two to one every night. I said this on Tuesday. That's even emphasized even more now. Not a lot of scoring up front, but he's got some good two-way players. And I really like his defense a lot. I mean, it's probably, in my opinion, the best defense. You got Corey and Van Boxmere. You got Galley and Myers. Selena and Jay McKee, who I think was highway robbery, getting him as late as he did. Ryan Miller win your games. That's tough, man. He's right there with Paul. This is going to be a close vote. I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, again, really good stuff by the guys. I'm going to put that poll up on Twitter. Who do you think? If you're out there listening right now and you've heard this, who do you think has the best team? Get on Twitter and vote. Tweet at me, at Pamoran Tweets. Email the show, Talk About Flow Podcast. I'll put some of the emails, some of the comments that I get on Twitter because I want to hear your thoughts. And uh, when I talk about who won the poll next week, I'll definitely be sure to uh, include them. So I said at the beginning of the podcast that I was in a pretty shitty mood. And then over the last half hour or so, I got in a much better mood as I started reading off the draft picks of these guys and reminiscing about that draft and the fun that we had doing it. That was a lot of fun. But I got to get back to that dark place right now. I got to tell you, man, I got to end this podcast with a rant because I, I just can't help it. This draft, by the way, was done not long before it was announced that Jason Botcher would be back for a four season. We found that out on Wednesday. We had taped this last week to air as a two-parter this week. So at the time, Jason Botcher, his status, at least officially anyway, was still up in the air. Now, had this been the case where his future was decided, I'm sure we would have talked about it. I kind of wish we would have because I would have loved to have gotten takes from all four of those guys on this. Again, it happened after the draft. But I'll tell you what, it's not going to stop me from ending this podcast with uh, my take. And again, I'm going to warn you now, eternally optimistic Buffalo Sabres fan out there, you ain't going to like this shit at all. And frankly, I just don't care, man. I just don't care because here's the bottom line, okay? The Sabres are 88, 115, and 30 since Jason Bottrell took over. 88 wins in 145 games. Fifth team in the history of the NHL to miss the playoffs for nine straight years. 24 out of 31 teams are going to end up in the playoffs because of this COVID pandemic. 24 teams, 12 from each conference, and the Buffalo Sabres still ain't sniffing the playoffs. Yet, Jason Bottrell, despite the fact that the Sabres have had the worst and the second worst record in the NHL, the entire NHL respectively, beyond October, I think, over the last two years or so, they decided to retain this guy for a fourth season. It's maddening. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. I said this on this podcast last week when I did a segment with Joe before we taped the, did the draft this week. This week was about the all-time Sabres draft. Last week, we had a topic talking about the more current-day Sabres and I said it on last week's show, and now I really mean it. I mean, I really mean it. I hate the Buffalo Sabres right now. I hate them. I don't dislike them. I don't loathe them. I'm not disappointed in them. I'm not disenfranchised with the Buffalo Sabres. I freaking hate 
the Buffalo Sabres right now. I hate every single thing about this team on the ice and especially, and I mean especially, off the ice. This is a team, they just, they can't get out of their own way when it comes to public relations. I'm not even going to rehash all the stupid shit that happened throughout the year. I'm talking from a PR standpoint. I'm not even talking about on the ice. I'm talking about from a PR standpoint all season. This, the way this was handled, by the way, this report that came out on Wednesday that Bottrell would be back, first reported by John Worrell. <laughs> it pains me to give John credit because I'm not a big fan of John Worrell on a personal level. However, that ain't about this. John's a hell of a writer, man. A great reporter. I always give him credit for that much, at least. He broke the story. Very good job by him. He's the one who reported Bottrell back for a fourth year per Kim Bagula's direct comment. So anyway, that's, how do I say it? That, that, that was bad enough, but it's not even so much that. But when you announce a decision that's surely going to be unpopular amongst fans, and then your team president slash owner speaks kind of like condescendingly of fans in the process. Let me read Kim Bagula's quote to John Worrell from the AP. And this is a direct quote from Kim. She says in the AP article, I realize maybe it's not popular with the fans, but we have to do the things that we feel are right, she said. We have a little bit more information than maybe a fan does, some inner workings that we see positives in. What? You have, of course, you have a little more information than the fan. Well, why say that? Why would you even say that? It's just, it's just ownership. They just don't get it, man. They don't. They don't get it at all. Their finger, when it comes to the fans, they don't have their finger on the pulse of the fans whatsoever. I mean, that's never been more obvious. It's never been more obvious, right? Now, granted, and I've said this many times, I'm an overreactor. I'm a knee-jerk reactor. I tend to get a little nuts sometimes. But that statement, it almost feels to me like ownership is saying, screw you to the fans. You don't tell us what to do. We're the boss. Because I, it's got money. I mean, what? It ain't hockey. It ain't hockey. I can't think of a good hockey-related reason why Jason Bottrell gets a fourth year. You tell me. I'm all ears, man. I mean, let's just recap the last couple of years. All right? Let's just do that. Let, let, let's go down that road real quick here. The Ryan O'Reilly trade goes without saying, okay? They dumped him because he was not happy. I, was it Phil Housley? Was it management? Was it the guys in the locker room? Whatever it was. Bottom line, the guy is one of the better centers in the entire NHL, talent-wise. Goes to the Blues, wins a cup. They get rid of him, and they got, it's not that they got rid of him. It's not that they traded him. It's that they got freaking garbage. Garbage. In return, they got trash in return. That's ultimately what it was. Wes Tate Thompson becomes a hell of a player. Are you going to bet on that? I know I'm not. They got trash back, essentially. And now they're looking for a second-line center. It ain't Marcus Johansson, is it? You can't do that. Second-line centers, especially ones like Ryan O'Reilly, you don't sign them in free agency. You rarely, if ever, draft them. Come on. That alone should have got his ass fired. Let's just be real here. Especially after last year. 
Then he gets a third year. Then he gets a fourth year now. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, saying Ryan O'Reilly and dropping the mic, that would be short-sighted all the miserable flops and failures that this incompetent, bummy-ass general manager so far has done. How about this? They traded assets, a draft pick and a player, not for one, but for two players on this year's roster that as they were trying to make a playoff push in February going into March, healthy scratches sit in their asses in the press box next to the media. Paul Hamilton in the box. John Vogel in the box covering these games. Guess who wasn't far from them? Michael Froelich, Colin Miller, healthy-ass scratches, guys that Jason Bottrell gave up assets for can't even be on the roster of a team that's 24th in the NHL in the standings. My bad, 25th, because if they were 24th, they'd be in the freaking playoffs. That's 100% on Jason Bottrell. Trade Scandella for a fourth, Dugas flip for a second. How about Jeff Skinner? You pay him $9 million. You're kind of forced into that. Guy comes, he scores 40 goals. You can't let him go. You get crucified in the media. Crucified among the fans if you let a guy score 40 goals and then let him walk away for nothing in free agency. So I get it. You had to resign him. Skinner had all the leverage and to his credit, he used it to his advantage. But you know what? You give this guy all this money and I can't, Batro, let's be fair here. You can't blame him for Skinner not playing with Eichel. That was a coach decision. So in, in essentially, I might be saying credit to Batro for not forcing that issue. But you know what I'm not going to give him credit for? Trading Ryan O'Reilly. You want to break up Skinner and Eichel? You better have a good second line center. Because guess what? A guy that you gave good money to, Marcus Johansson, in his nine goals this year? That ain't it. That ain't it. More maddening to me personally than any of that stuff I've said so far is the last two years. This is a general manager that has sat around and did zero, nothing, zilch, nada. While this team went from best in the NHL to a complete train wreck. I'm not talking about this season. The season before, let's remember now. This team was literally in November, the best team in the NHL. Then they became a train wreck. They started drowning. They got in the deep end. They couldn't swim. Jason Bottrell did nothing. This past season, which got wiped out. Doesn't matter. The Sabres still not in the playoffs. But anyway, point being, they were good for a while. They were good for a while, weren't they? They had glimpses, which by the way, I'm going to play a clip for a second. It pisses me off about Jason Bottrell. He said it himself. But anyway, this team started good, got hot, gave themselves a chance, gave fans some hope. Then they went running the shitter again. And the general manager stood around with his head caught in headlights, did nothing. Nothing until the trade deadline. Nothing before that. Didn't stop the bleeding. Did nothing to stop the bleeding. You know what? I want to play a clip from Jason Bottrell's presser on Wednesday morning about glimpses. Listen to this bullshit. I think it's the younger players, the the younger talent that we're bringing into the mix here. I also think that you can look at, we've shown it. We've shown the capabilities, whether uh, it's the 10-game winning streak the year before. This year, what I was excited about was certainly a a very good start, um, but we showed glimpses throughout, I thought, through the rest of the year. Um, you know, I was disappointing. You know, we went through a tough stretch coming off of our, our trip to Sweden with a couple injuries and facing some good teams. I liked how we came back in December um, playing against, uh, I think it was 
Edmonton, St. Louis, Nashville, and Islanders that started December. I thought we played well there. Um, and then even going into the trade deadline, I think we won five out of our six uh, heading into there. So we looked at a situation where, hey, we're going to get Linus Allmark back um, in March here, see how things progress. We understood that our, our, our uh, schedule was going to be extremely difficult through March, but we are excited about playing those games and seeing where we can go. And I think that's where, you know, this group has shown that um, – for glimpses, they can be, we can be a very strong team. Um, but it's imperative that we add more depth to that group and, and improve our young players um, to be legit NHL players uh, to have success here moving forward. And that's why I would think that our fan base would be excited about the young players that we have coming in here and that we've shown that we can do it. Now it's imperative that we show that over 82 games. That man talked about glimpses. Glimpses. Yo, every team in the history of sports has glimpses. That is some weak, vanilla bullshit coming from a general manager of a professional hockey team. Glimpses. And this whole, you know, the trade deadline gearing up this and that. Guess what? Meaningful games in March. I think they lost, what, six in a row, seven in a row, seven out of eight, something like that. They were buried before glimpses those glimpses uh, in fairness i will say this omar getting hurt definitely hurt the savers chances hurt the chances of making the playoffs for sure if the 12 teams in the conference instead of eight or whatever it is would make the playoffs sure if omar doesn't get hurt maybe the savers are the 12 seed in a 24 playoff congratulations let's throw a parade for jason botro glimpses what a, that's a bunch of crap and you know what the young guy, this and that. I'm going to tell you right now, here's another thing too. The future ain't looking all that great either, okay? This is a team that's in pretty shitty shape when it comes to the salary cap. And there's not a ton in the near future pipeline either. I mean, they better pray, pray that Dylan Cousins is even better than advertised. Because what else is coming through that pipeline in the next, say, 12 months or so that's going to turn it around in Jason Bottrell's fourth year? Or is he going to get a fifth and then a sixth and then a seventh? as they continue to finish in the mid-20s when it comes to the NHL standings. Just a bunch of bullshit. Because here's the truth. You look at this roster, and you look at the pipeline, and in over, at least over the next season or two, the best talent is already on this roster. Sands, Dylan Cousins. Maybe Casey Middlestat if some kind of revolution happens, and he completely changes. Because we've obviously seen nothing at this point. I don't want to say the kid's a bust. Way too young for that. But we haven't seen anything to suggest that he's going to be a, even a good top nine forward, let alone a top six forward. So you better hope that Dylan Cousins is even better because there ain't a lot coming up this pipeline really soon. And this hockey team's not good. They're not only are they not good, but again, they're in cap trouble too. Terrible cap management by Jason Bottrell. Now, that's not all his fault. Some of these contracts are on Tim Murray. But you know what? You got three years to make trades. Look what Brandon Bean did for the Bills. In one year, essentially, a year and a half. So I don't want to hear that bullshit. You've had three years now as GM. Make your decisions. Find a way to get out of contracts. You should not be in the kind of cap shape that the Buffalo Sabres are in right now. But of all that stuff, everything I'm bitching and moaning about, here's the thing that pisses me off the most. I said I hate the Sabres right now. Here's why. The number one reason. You tanked for two years. And it was horrific. It was like a civil war among Buffalo Sabres fans. We all know the story. 
anti-tank, pro-tank. Are we rooting for the Sabres to losing? What are we doing here? You can argue, and we're not going to do it today. Did the tank work? It depends on your perspective. Let's just say that. Don't want to get into that debate right now. But here's the one thing that came of it. No matter how you think the tank played out or if it worked or not, they got Jack Eichel. Here's the good news. He has been every bit as good as we could have ever realistically hoped for. He's a special talent. Guys like him do not come around very often. You can make a very strong case that he might be the most talented player in the 50-year history of this franchise. Now, not everyone's going to agree with that. And that's a very fair debate to have. But he's right up there. He's been every bit as good as we realistically could have hoped for. Maybe even better. He's certainly one of the top 10 best players in the NHL today. Maybe even top five. So, as good as he's been, guess what? He is five years. He ain't even young anymore, man. Dude's played in the NHL for five years now. Five years into his career, and the Sabres as an organization, and Jason Bottrell specifically over these last three years, have completely and utterly rotted Jack Eichel's first five years away. Rotted it. If he plays at a high level, let's just say for another five years before he starts to slow down, you've wasted half the best years of his career already. Again, no immediate future, real hope in sight if we're being realistic here. You start looking at the cap, do you expect Jason Macho to pull off some amazing trades and make the Sabres contenders overnight? I sure as shit don't see it. I've seen nothing in three years that suggests that that's going to happen. So five years into one of the most talented, maybe the most talented players in the history of the franchise who's been as good as expected, maybe even more, his, his career is freaking rotting away, rotting away. Can you imagine how Jack Eichel must feel right now? Despite what he'll say, he's going to say the right things. He's going to show leadership and all that shit. But you know what? How could he not be miserable? I don't care how rich he is. I don't care how good he is. He's playing out a bummy-ass organization right now. That's what he's doing. It's the truth. Let's be real here. Five years. How long do you think that's going to play for? I'm not saying he's going to get traded if shit don't change in a year. But you don't think that the, the wheels are going to be in motion for him to want to be out of Buffalo a year from now if things are like this? Again, the organization as a whole, oh, the ownership, president, GM, rotting it away. And it's not his fault. It's not, there's not 1% of this that's on Jack Eichel. Not one. A lot's on Bottrell. A lot. What about Rasmus Dahlin? You know what? By the time this team starts to do something, his entry-level contract will probably be up. and It'll make a gazillion dollars. And Jason Bottrell will still probably be the GM. Dahlin gets a big deal in three years. And the Sabres are 25th in the NHL. And Jason Bottrell is entering his sixth or seventh year as Sabres GM. It's just a joke. Great players, generational talents are going to see their careers rotted away in this organization. It makes me sick. And I'll tell you what, speaking of making me sick, the relationship. When has, you know what, and this is an honest question here. It's not even like me striking out of anger. I'm asking a legitimately honest question here. When has the relationship between fans and a Buffalo professional sports team ever been worse than it is right now between fans and, and the Buffalo Sabres? It's a serious question. I'm, I'm being dead serious, man. I'm all ears. You tell me. 
Tweet at me at Pamoran Tweets. Again, email the podcast, talkaboutfullpodcast, gmail.com. I want to know. Let me know because I can't think of anything. This to me right now, in terms of relationship between how fans feel about this team and the ownership, the organization, the GM, it feels like it's at an all time low. Now, I know Twitter only represents a small portion of Sabres fans. Facebook and those groups are only a small portion of Sabres fans. I know the fan base is much larger than just social media. But I'm telling you now, I've never heard a bigger consensus that hate this team, or maybe not the team. They certainly hate the organization right now, and I don't blame them. So again, you tell me, when has it ever been worse than it is right now? Oh, just imagine. Oh, I can't, it hurts to even think about it. Just imagine how lucky, in a sense, Terry and Kim are right now that they essentially lucked into Sean McDermott. Now, maybe luck's not the best word to use in that scenario because they did pursue him. It's not like he fell into their laps. They went out and they did pursue him. But Sean McDermott had a decision to make. I know Cleveland was in on him. And I think there might've been one or two other teams that he could have chosen from. And he took Buffalo. I know Cleveland for sure. And he chose Buffalo over Cleveland. Thank God. Because just imagine. And of course that led ultimately to Brandon Bean coming here too because of Sean McDermott and the Carolina ties. But just imagine if that didn't happen. If they didn't get Sean McDermott and they got an, a retread coach or another Rex Ryan or whoever the hell ever. And let's say that playoff draw continued. And you got the bills of those 17 years combined with the ineptitude and unlikability of this shitty ass Sabres organization right now. Just imagine if the bills were flatline and lifeless like the Sabres are right now. How miserable my hometown of Buffalo, the Buffalo sports fan, how miserable that town would be when it comes to sports. It's legitimately scary to even think about that. Because I know there's a lot of Bills fans out there who don't give a shit about the Sabres. And those guys are like, oh, Terry and Kim are fine. Well, the Bills have made the playoffs two of the last three years. They're in good shape. So if you only care about the Bills and you don't give a shit about hockey, sure, you're, you're in on the Pagoulas. If you're a hockey fan first, uh-uh. Or if you like both teams, it's like, eh. But just imagine if the Bills were like the Sabres right now. Because they could be. They might be that way if Sean McDermott had not taken his job. Scary to think about. Last thing, too, that I want to get out here. I hate, I've seen this on Twitter a lot over the last couple of days because I've been going back and forth arguing with some people over this. Darcy Regeer comparisons to Jason Bottrell, they make me sick. Now, look, yeah, Darcy Regeer stuck around for too long, overstayed his welcome. I, I don't discount that. I don't deny that. But, and, and also the suffering comment, I mean, that's going to haunt him forever, I'm sure. But, Look, here's the bottom line, man. Are you guys crazy with these comparisons on your nuts? Darcy Regeer got the Sabres to the Final Four four times. Four. Two Stanley Cups. Jason Bottrell can't even get this team to have a game that matters on Shamrock Run weekend. Don't ever compare them. It's a joke. A joke. And by the way, that suffering comment that Darcy made, that'll be the most famous one. But this condescending quote from Kim Bagula to me, that's just as bad. Just as bad. So anyway, enough of that. I mean, I, I didn't want my, it wasn't my goal to get too far off the path of what this week has been, which has been a lot of fun. An all-time Buffalo Sabres roster draft for the best in the business doing it with me. That was really cool. So I thank them 
Sorry that I had to rant on the Sabres, but it is what it is. Said my piece and I'm good with it. And on that note, that is going to do it for today's episode. One more time, I want to thank Paul Hamilton from WGR. I want to thank John Vogel from The Athletic. I want to thank Chris Baker from Sabres Prospects. And I want to thank Chad DiDominicis from Die by the Blade. A lot of fun, not just today, but also on Tuesday's show as well. Also want to thank today's show supporter, 26 Shirts. Guys, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead, do it right now. Rating, review, all that fun stuff. It really means a lot to me. You can catch us on all the podcasting platforms that are out there. Also check out Talking Buffalo Podcast on YouTube. Separate page is different from the podcast. I got highlight clips from current past episodes, some original audio content coming down the pike. Then last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, news, promotion, giveaways, stuff like that. Like I said, I'm going to have a poll from this draft. The four guys, I'm going to give you guys a chance to vote for who you thought had the best team. So again, at Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I always make sure that's the last thing I say to you guys because I know how many podcasts are. There's a million of them. There's a billion of them. There's a trillion of them. They're popping up literally every day. I see new people having a podcast all the time. So much competition. So when you're giving your hard-earned time and your ear to this podcast, I got to tell you, man, it really, really, really humbles me a lot. It, It means a lot. So thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. Brand new episodes next Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.